the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Good morning and welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France. This morning with Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti. Dave, thanks for being in studio. Yeah, this is such a difficult program because by the time you listen to the open you're finished yeah right yeah well you're I mean, locked Bob's in. listening to the car right now Bob. I want you to know Bob you knocked me out again I ever and I, it doesn't matter how many days in a row I listen or where I'm listening or what app I'm listening on anywhere in the country because I do monitor this program if I get the open I'm finished well and every time you hear the open it causes me to get into the phone or get into my computer and start looking for additional sound bites or where those speeches came from, the context of the, all of them. The Great Crusade one is Dwight David Eisenhower on D-Day. Yes. That one just stops you dead because there's the President of the United States. Now, he closes that presentation with a prayer for the troops. This is this is the... This is, um, Sorry, he was the commanding general at the time. He hadn't, he hadn't been elected president yet, but President Eisenhower as General Eisenhower. Sorry, Bob, I got it right. <laughs> I, I, I heard him. I heard him in the radio right there. Come on, man. All right. Um, and Eisenhower, General Eisenhower at that time, is praying 
for the troops he's sending to die. Knowing that we absolutely must liberate France, we must take these beaches, we must must stop the Axis forces in the European theater, and there's no other way to do it but to do it. Yeah. Well, that's history lesson number one of the day, one of many, because that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have some history lessons, and we're going to come and get caught up on the current situation as well, and a lot of those lessons are going to deal with the Supreme Court of the United States and the decision, well, we'll get into a few decisions, but the decision that everyone is talking about, that was released on Friday. But before we do, in sticking with the theme of Bob's show, we do have to start this program with the Pledge of Allegiance. America, join me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Liberty and justice for all. Yeah, but you can't get there unless you're one nation. You have to start at the beginning. Yeah, the older that I get, the more I realize those words are not just token symbols for young people to recite in a classroom. That's one of the most provocative statements on the planet today. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, therefore indivisible. Therefore, with liberty and justice for all. You know, we started our last month's update at the American Policy Roundtable talking about a picture that most people have never seen. A picture of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, President Kennedy sitting next to Billy Graham. Yes. At the uh, National Prayer Breakfast. And President Kennedy, in his address at the National Prayer Breakfast, with Billy Graham sitting right there, President Kennedy spoke of George Washington's prayer of 1783 in which he closed his most famous written piece ever, Washington's circular letter to the states, in which the president, the general at that time, General Washington, like a little bit like Eisenhower, the general who would become president. <laughs> I see a theme there. I our see a first theme. president. General Washington was looking out over the battlefields. The revolution was won. It's 1783. It's been an eight-year battle. And now, starting in 1775 on Lexington Green, now, as the paperwork's being concluded by American ambassadors in Europe, the general is sitting down saying, what are we going to do? What kind of a country are we going to have? What's it going to look like? And he... With incredible prescience, incredible foresight, he lays out the pillars of what kind of country we need to have, what sort of governmental structure we'll need, why we want to be a republic and what that republic will look like and some of the key fundamental principles. But the, the, the basic reality, the, the core of it all, is that we have to be one people. And he basically said that this war, that they just survived, has in fact made them one people. They now see 
that being a nation means agreeing. United. Re- reaching a point of consensus on on how we want to live and the core principles and the rule of law based upon consent. And this is one of the amazing things about America is it is built upon the consent of the governed. For the consent of the governed to go forward, we to be one people, to be able to move forward with liberty and justice for all, we have to have some fundamental agreements about reality. And Washington lays those out and then closes the letter with a prayer. And he basically says, all of this stuff is good. But at the end of the day, the most important thing I can tell you is your is your talk to you about is your attitude and your mind. Yes. And the best example I can give you of a mind that will create exactly what we need for this country to succeed is the mind of Jesus Christ. And he says that we should imitate the divine author of our blessed religion and share his frame of mind as we look at one another and look at the future. I don't think Washington got the memo that all the founders were agnostic and atheists (laughs) before he wrote that. But you talked about the republic and the structure of the day in the founding era. I don't think they ever envisioned a time where nine people in black robes would keep a country on edge. Yeah, let's go way, way, way back to the beginning would keep a country on edge based on the release of their writings because that, in my opinion, flies in the face of the consent of the governed. Well, and I'll make the argument not from political philosophy or from religion. Let's make the argument purely based on process. Yeah. How did we put our government together? Literally. How did the steps go forward? If we were suddenly back in 1787 and the Constitutional Convention has met and put together these seven major articles of our federal constitution, this is before the extension of the first 10 amendments. So the core construct of our government, they're putting this together. Now, how then did we launch it? Think about this. Article 1 is Article 1 for a reason. To start the government, the first thing we had to do after we had approved and ratified the Constitution through the states, because it was the states that built the government, they had to ratify and give their consent for the federal government to open. And when they did, the first thing they did was hold congressional elections. Why? Because without a Congress, you couldn't have anything else. Well, and you had to have that representation. The people had to have that form of representation to have a say. You weren't going to have a dictatorship. We weren't going to have an authoritative figure that was you know, going to be a monarchy. We, we know what we fought from to get away from. So they knew the structure they wanted in place, and it had to be the will of the people, the consent of the governed. You couldn't elect the president because you didn't have an electoral college until you had a Congress. Who was there to count the votes? So you had Congress first, then we elected a president, and then the president of the United States appointed six Supreme Court justices, and the Congress ratified them. The Supreme Court was the last piece of the puzzle, and it was strategically at the end of the chronological period as well, we had a seated Congress, an elected and inaugurated president, who then appointed Supreme Court justices, who were then ratified, 
and then the courts were able to be open. And that's the thing. In the original court, when you we think about those six justices, a lot of people, you know, they immediately say, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, six? Mm-hmm. I'm not the best at math, but I think if you divide by two, then you could have a tie. You could have two sides. What? <laughs> but in that time, I don't think anyone envisioned there would be a 3-3 split. I mean, if one voted a different way, maybe, and two would be like, whoa, what's going on here? Where's the divisiveness? How did that happen? Well, because... When you look at Article 3, the construction of the Supreme Court was designed with very limited original jurisdiction. There are very few things that come to the Supreme Court as the court of trial, the first court. The court, and, and those things involve international law ambassadorships, um, lawsuits between the states. It's an appellate court at its core. It is core. a core. Thank you, Rob. At its core, it is an appellate court to resolve conflicts not to create law, most certainly. Now, and I heard someone, uh, let's see, uh, actually, I heard somebody on Fox News last night. What's our break time, by the way? Uh, We're going to break in about 30 seconds. Okay. I'll I'll come back to this. I heard somebody on Fox News, one of the bigs on Fox News, make a fundamental constitutional error last night talking about the Supreme Court. Shocker. Shocker. Well, we have plenty to get to today. This is a brief uh, history lesson, if you will, before we dive in to the Supreme Court case. I have to all that two and a half inch file of papers yeah, yeah. that you have called have, Doe. Yeah. I have no Dobbs. Dobbs. <laughs> but dealing with Doe. Dealing with Roe and, Ro. and, and Doe Do. and Casey <laughs> and all of the others. We're going to get into those arguments. We're going to get into those discussions. How did it happen? All of that today on Always Right Radio. You're you're with Dave Zanotti and Rob Walgate on AM 1420 The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti sitting. It takes two of us to fill in for Bob Frank. I think that's. <laughs> yeah, we actually we actually had Melanie Elsie scheduled yes. to be in studio with us as well, our national legislative director. And she unfortunately took ill over the weekend. And we told her you just need to rest. Yeah, just fine, rest. But. She sent us plenty of notes, yeah. plenty of texts. But before the break, we were diving into a story about, I know, a shocking revelation that a cable news commentator Got it wrong on the Got Constitution. Got it wrong on yeah. the Constitution. And, and this happens all the time, and it drives me nuts. Not because uh, I'm the smartest guy in the world on the Declaration of the Constitution, uh, by far. There's so much. I think I know the smartest guy in the world on the Declaration yeah, yeah. of the Constitution. I may know the top three or four. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and we pick their brain all often. the time, <laughs> and they're so gracious to us. Um, uh, and, and we have sat in their classes and read their books and studied uh, so, no, I wouldn't pretend to be the smartest by far. God help us if I would be the smartest. And, and the reason I bring that up is not because it's about me. That's the point. Um, but this individual made the comment about the Constitution. And what I've come to discover is we really don't have a very good reservoir of accurate history in our collective American mind. Newsflash, we've been doing this for 42 years. We call it the American Mission which is to reclaim, restore the, the basic historical understandings of reality as to how we got here and why. So this guy's talking about the Constitution, and he says, and, and clearly the role of the Constitution 
is uh, the role of the Supreme Court. It's plain in in the Constitution is to keep the Congress in line and to make sure that what the laws that Congress passes are are conform to the Constitution. That's the role of the Supreme Court. It's 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 right. And and, uh, Article three, excuse me. Can you find that in Article Three? The totality of what is in the Constitution in regards to the fundamental responsibilities of the court are in Article Three. I feel like he said it totally polar opposite of the way the Constitution reads. It's the role of the Congress to keep the courts in check. <laughs> okay, first off, let's make something very clear. There is no lawmaking power whatsoever delegated to the United States Supreme Court. None. There is extremely limited primary jurisdiction where the Supreme Court is the trial court. Everything else is to settle arguments. And not only does the Constitution not include the words judicial review, which is what this commentator was talking about, the anchor of judicial review sits in a case called Marbury versus Madison that happened very soon, very early in the founding era, in which the precedent was established that the court could make decisions on whether Congress had operated according to the Constitution. That is a precedent. It is not a constitutional principle. So when someone says, it's right there in the Constitution, show me where it's in the Constitution. Now, this causes lawyers to go nuts. Well, that's because those lawyers have studied that precedent is what they should be studying, not the Constitution. The first, been, they, precedent is reality in law schools. First time I ever had the opportunity to speak at a law school. I always think it's hilarious that law schools have asked me to speak because they would never accept me as a student, but they allow me to address this. Well, they, they appreciate your perspective on the law. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, I talked about the Constitution, and one of the students raised their hand and said, well, we don't study that language. We've studied precedent. They bring up Marbury versus Madison. They bring up so many other cases, and it makes your head explode. However, when we read this case that we're going to get into in a little bit of, of Dobbs, they talk about judicial review. They talk about due process. They talk about the fact that if the court got it wrong in the initial decision, then it can be fixed. And, and historically, they've done that in the past where they've got rid of the precedent set because they realized constitutionally it didn't didn't fly. Well, one thing we know with absolute certainty is that it has never been the role of the Supreme Court to make law. Correct. And one of the things in the Alito, I'm calling it the Alito decision because it was the Alito draft. Alito wrote this. Um, and, of course, obviously it's a 6-3 majority on the court in regards to we can get well, into that, yeah. too. Well, in some, article, some articles say 5-4, and when you read it and dissect it, um, I believe the, the word you used in our prior discussion was, what a shock. The Washington Post uses John Roberts as a political pawn in this game. Yeah, and, and, and to, to probably to Roberts' delight, but well, yeah, he's not here to defend himself, so we'll try to be fair. It's difficult to be fair with someone who's not being fair with us, and that's John Roberts. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so the question of judicial review and, and what is in the Constitution and what is the authority, um, one of the things that Justice Alito writes for the majority in regards to this Mississippi decision in comment, commenting about Roe is that he says that he, over his legal career, has heard more than once 
that the construct of Roe and Casey and Roe and Doe, the in essence, the 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 abortion rulings from 73 forward read like great legislation. There's just one problem. There never was legislation. The court can't pass legislation. They can't write it. They can't pass it. But that's what they did. Yeah. And and that's That's a fundamental point of reality that we must nail down. This has always been legislation from the bench. And whether you consider yourself, I'm going to use air quotes, conservative, liberal, however you want to consider yourself, it should concern you if the court ever tries to legislate from the bench, even if they do it on an issue in which you believe deeply. It's not their job to try and, again, air quotes, create law. They don't write laws. Out of thin air. So what we're going to do after this break, we're going to go back to 1973. We're going to go back to the original Roe case. We're going to talk about that as a setup to where we are today. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back, Always Right Radio. We haven't got a text from Bob who's in the car right now driving, so I know he's listening and tuning in. Hello, Bob. Thanks for the opportunity to sit in the chair or chairs, if you will. Dave and I haven't broke anything yet. We're trying hard. Johnny's holding it down on the other side of the glass, which we appreciate. Well, we're talking about, so if we're going to go back to 73, Johnny's saying, where are we going to go music-wise? Yeah, you're and all about There's a lot of ways you oh, can go. A lot of them. All right. I mean, it's, <laughs> just, no. just let's not go to Captain and Tennille, okay? <laughs> <laughs> 1973. Let's go back there. Early 70s, started in 72 when we talk about the case. Started know, in Texas. Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the in the last 50 years, the the most talked about Supreme Court case. Yeah, if this was a uh, uh, a fictional film, people would be really angry because it goes against our entire concept of justice. It goes against everything that we believe in to start a lawsuit based on a lie. And if you start a lawsuit based on a lie, then your plaintiffs aren't heroes. So what happened was Planned Parenthood and NARAL and the the, the early, I want to be careful because not all these organizations had the name or were incorporated as such in 73, but in essence, the pro-abortion movement coming out of the radical feminist movement had a crusade going and they wanted litigation. They want an opportunity to uh, make abortion available to everyone uh, at all times by court fiat. They knew they did not have a chance to win that debate in the states. They knew they didn't have the chance to win it uh, in uh, ballot issues or legislative matters. They didn't have a chance in Congress, and so they turned to the court. So they crafted a case in Texas that was completely fabricated and built on a lie. 
And when I study this case, it seems, well, not it seems, it is so emotional. And there's such a danger when you put emotion into making a decision when it comes to a legal construct. Because when you read the writings of the founders, they're so structured and they realize they have to take the emotion out of it. Because when you put emotion in it, it's like if I'm charged with something and a jury has to hear the case, I want there to be video evidence and DNA evidence. I don't want there to be just relying on emotion and eyewitness testimony because both of those things can be shaky. And this case throws so much raw emotion into it that that plays, in my opinion, when I read the, the opinion from 1973, on the legal justification for what they did. Well, they found a person uh, by the name of Norma McCorvey who took on the name of Jane Roe for the purpose of the case. So to start, we don't even have the person's name presented in the suit. Norma McCorvey presented a case on the fact that she, that she was denied access to an abortion after being raped. Well, in fact, she was not raped. She did not get an abortion. She went on to carry her child to term. Planned Parenthood took her name and took her pregnancy and created a mythology that was absolutely not true, but it prevailed through the courts, and then it made its way to the federal court system, and all of it was predicated upon a lie. No one threw the case out based upon the fact that they were lying. It was a political show trial to because no one in the courts that through which this procedure went forward, had the courage to challenge the media and the radical feminist movement. The case was built on a lie. This is not our invention. This is the confession of Norma McCorvey later in her life before she died. You know, I feel like I'm thinking of the old um, game on The Price is Right. I believe it was Plinko. You you drop the thing at the top and it could go a million different ways and you don't know where it's going to end up. That's how I feel talking about this can be because there's so many there's different so many there, there's so many you, different yeah. ways you can go and end up and you're going to end up uh, down in the same place at the end um i i think about that from 1973 and i think about those arguments but i also think about the people that were making those arguments and the folks that are making them today are the people who are screaming that they're the party of science yet the <laughs> The issue of science and the issue of technology, I saw, you know, well, science requires fact and logic. Well, and as this case began, neither was well, neither happened to have entered into the courtroom. my children were born in 2008 and 2011, respectively. And I remember seeing those ultrasound pictures. We have a friend that's currently expecting. And I saw the pictures from their recent ultrasound. And even in that 14 year period, the difference of technology and pictures and what you're able to see. I looked at them like, oh my goodness. And they told me how many weeks along they were. And I, I was amazed. You know, And I'm thinking, right. now look at that science. Look at that. Now, let's take a second and let's, those that point's made. Now let's just park it for just a second and let's go to process. Yes. Because a lot of this case is built upon the idea of due process or in essence proper legal process. So we have a case that comes up out of Texas where the facts are not true. And the plaintiffs know they're not true. And the plaintiffs' lawyers know they're not true. 
but they proceed anyhow. That's the first thing. Then let's look at the process by which the federal courts decided to take this up and by which ultimately the Supreme Court chose to rule. The question now before the court is, does the United States Constitution guarantee or is the United States Constitution committed by language of construction? Is this document obligated to protect a woman's right to abort an unborn child? That's the question. Is it in the Constitution? Now, if it's not in the Constitution, the court has no place. There's nothing to talk about. It's not here. And if it's not in the Constitution and they feel a law should be created, the court can't create one out of thin air. We have processes for that. But the court can return the case and say, this is a legislative matter, and if, in fact, there's a law for us to discuss, we'll discuss the law. But there is no law, and there is no place. This case requires us to make a fundamental decision about a human right And we have to ask ourselves, does the Constitution of the United States address the subject? Now, the minority of the court at that time said, no, it doesn't. The majority said, yes, it does. But to get there, they had to create the right from the language. They had to create it from the Second, the Ninth, the the 14th Amendment. Emanates from the penumbra. Emanates from from the penumbra of the Constitution. In other words, looking at all of the amendments connected to what's called the Bill of Rights, they said that the right to an abortion emanates from the penumbra of the Constitution. They made it up out of whole cloth. And Rob, I will tell you that from the beginning, any debate I've ever heard or participated in, on the record or off the record, with the best minds who were pro-Roe, none of them could ever defend the legal integrity of saying that abortion is in the Constitution. None of them. They all admitted that Roe was made up of whole cloth. It was sociological law based upon the trend of the era. Sociological law created by the court that stuck for 49 years. At the expense of the death of 60-plus million unborn children. And the follow-up question to that is, if the right to an abortion emanates from the penumbra of the 14th Amendment... Or the Second or Amendment. The or the Second Amendment. Right. Keep. What other rights can emanate from the penumbra of any amendment or anything? For, I mean, technically, you could just go on and on and on and do whatever you want, and that is the problem with the case in its entirety. And I think as we dive into Dobbs, we see and understand that. And I don't think a lot of people have come to the realization of what the majority opinion was saying, with the exception of John Roberts. We can drop the word abortion from this conversation altogether and simply ask from a position of honest analysis of our core documents 
does the United States Supreme Court have the right to create legislation from the bench? Because, as we said earlier, Alito mentions in the majority opinion that over the years he's had people say to him uh, that the Roe decisions and and the Casey decisions and the the decisions that have basically made up this whole genre of the law, they read like great legislation. The problem is there never was legislation. The court wrote the legislation from the bench and called it law. Well, and some people say they need to codify Roe through Congress. Oh, now wait a second. And I don't think that, and we'll get into that after the break. We'll get into that briefly before we jump into Dobbs because that's been the talk, but I, I don't, there's other issues and problems with that as well. So um, that that's a great place to, we're going to put a pin in that. And when we come back from this break, we're going to talk Ring about the that. bell when that one comes because yeah. that's where the fight really begins. Now I got Dave standing up. He's drinking coffee. He's ready to bounce off the walls, and I'm taking us to the break. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. Dave Zanotti, Rob Walgate with you this morning. Got a great text from Bob Franti. Davey didn't throw us out yet. He said, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Thanks, so, so much appreciated, Bob. I don't know people know we really like Bob. Oh, he's the best. He's, he's the best. Giant, gentle bear with a great heart and a powerful mind. Well, and it, yeah. And the com- his convictions you know he's not in the business of entertaining even though he's great at it yeah but he believes what he says yeah and he does it because it's the right yeah for all the right reasons i appreciate it so, yeah I mean, we're not I mean, i'm not suggesting for a second that we're monolithic or we agree with yeah. it but he's just a good guy oh we've it's had he and i've had being. We, and and that's the thing when he and i maybe do have that disagreement or do we text each other and we yeah. we feel each other out and we 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 want to know the other perspective and and we get to it. So, no, definitely, definitely appreciate that. Before we went to the break, we talked about, or we hinted at, what some are saying around the country. And let me rephrase. What some are screaming what, for. What, do you think Alan's going to fix this? Yeah, I think she's on the ed, public square, folks. It's like, <laughs> Alan, edit that. Just ed, cut edit. that, okay? Alan C. Duncan, live, throw, Rob. An, throw an edit in there. <laughs> Johnny, we don't have the ability to edit on the live era, okay? <laughs> um, some are screaming they want Roe v. Wade codified well, through Congress. Okay. All right. So let's 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 <laughs> don't off, throw your phone. No. Let's let's just get this straight. All right. The radical leftist progressives have had their party, which is the Democrat Party, in control of Congress multiple times since 1973. At any point in time, they could have codified or passed a federal statute through the Congress with a simple majority to make Roe versus Wade the law of the land by federal statute. They chose not to because they are a bunch of lying so-and-sos with words I cannot use in my own soul or in public company. They are lying through their teeth because they don't give a rat's rear end about the rule of law unless they can use it to accumulate and control power. 
and funds. How much money have they raised in and the last money. 50 years off this issue on the threat? The combination of big pharma and the abortion industry makes a lot of people a lot of money. You know, but before we go to the money, let's go to the law. Suddenly, now that the court is no longer their toy and their easy go-to, suddenly they realize, wow, making abortion the law of the land, which they have lied about since 1973, saying that a court declaration is the law of the land. No, a court declaration cannot be the law of the land because the court has no power to create law. None. Zero. No constitutional authority. Courts don't make law. Legislatures do. And there never was a bill underneath Roe versus Wade. And that's been interesting to hear the arguments from the other side as it's pertained to the Dobbs case. They, They are constantly harping on the fact of 50 years of president precedent and taking away a constitutional right. And I'm scratching my head and saying they're fixing an error it's that happened in years of legal cotton candy. They've turned us all into diabetics. And it's insane. It is insane. And the thought of codifying it. Well, I asked someone the other day who disagreed with me on this. I, I we were talking and I said, let me ask this. Barack Obama had 60 votes in the United States Senate at his disposal when he was president. He had the House, and he could have put his signature on anything they wanted. Anything. Anything. They could have changed the game. For whatever issue you want to think about, they could have done it. Guess what? They didn't. Why? Because it was so much easier to pretend the fantasy that the court is the lawmaker, that the court is makes the law of the land. It's so much easier to control that power base of a non-elected government in the Supreme Court. And they had the numbers, and so they weren't about to suddenly rediscover what the Constitution says because they didn't need the Constitution. They didn't need a law because they had an unelected dictate. Now suddenly, the you know, here's the thing about the left. Simple. We've said to everybody, if you think it's the government that gives you your rights, be careful. Because if the government gives you your rights, the government can take them away. So now the shoe's on the other foot. Here's the word to the pro-abortion community. Write a law. Pass a law. Go for it. And if you think the government gives you your rights, I encourage you. Go read the Declaration. Go read the Constitution. When we come back after the break, we're going to dive into the Dobbs case. We're going to take a look at the writings of the justices. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two on Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate with you this morning, joined by... Dave Zanotti, CEO of the American Policy Roundtable. 
also known as my boss. And my boss through the years has taught me how to read Supreme Court decisions. Um, I used to read them front to back. I've now changed. <laughs> right. I scan the front. I see what it says. Then I immediately go to the back and see the opinion of the court. And read it backwards. And read it backwards. Mm-hmm. So I've learned. And um, what we're going to do now is I'm going to read you one paragraph. I know it's always boring to read on radio, but it's going to be one paragraph. And this is going to be from the opinion of the court, the majority opinion, written by Justice Alito. We end this opinion where we began. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. The judgment of the Fifth Circuit is reversed and the case is remanded for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. It is so ordered. The final paragraph of the opinion of the court written by Justice Alito. This is worth days of conversation. Let's just let's just deconstruct this. The court is saying we end where we began. We said let's go back to the beginning. And we started back in the beginning before there was an America, when America was being considered and constructed. And then we talked about the beginning of how America moved from its constitution into its actual practice as a government of three substantive branches. Now, we can talk all we want about the fourth estate of government being the media. It's interesting because the first corporate entity, if you will, the first collective of individual activity recognized in the First Amendment is the press. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or of the right to free speech and the press. They're right there. In essence, the ability to have freedom of expression and freedom of medium and and the processes of that expression are outlined very clearly. Now, let's start with the question and the word moral. Justice Alito uses the word moral. Now, is he talking about religion or is he talking about reality? And the chances are he may be talking about both. And a lot of people say, how many times do we hear, you can't legislate morality? I mean, that said, which is what Justice Alito just said. So you would think that the left would be celebrating this. And when I say left, even though the Democrat Party is, in essence, the banner bearer of the radical progressive agenda, there are plenty of people who call themselves Republicans who are just as progressive and even more radical than Democrats. So this has nothing to do with political parties. So many of them get a paycheck and how they get a paycheck. 
that, that determines is, the fight they want. Alito is saying this is about reality at a level that is above simple human law. This is more. This is the justices are saying this is above our pay grade. But wait a second. I've sat on the front row of the Supreme Court. I've had a case with my name, our organization's name, and my name in the opinion. I know what it's like to sit at that final authority with your 45 minutes and oral arguments, knowing that when they're done, it's done. There's nothing more to be said in regards to judicial conflict and review. That's it. They're they're the last word. And just a little sidebar, in that time of argument you get, you may not get to any of your argument because you may get peppered with questions the entire time. You may (laughs) stand before the bench and say, may it please the court and never get another word of your years of research and presentation out in a single sentence because you'll spend your entire time answering their questions. It is the it, it is the highest stakes game in the legal world. It is genuinely. I, I don't think no matter how many times you could be there, you would ever, ever take it for granted because the stakes are so high. Now, you know what? Our country wasn't designed to be that way. It never was supposed to be that you go before the powerful Oz and they define all reality. That is is what Alito is saying. This question about what is life, how should life be protected, what is the rule of law in relationship to the protection of life, this is beyond the pale of any single bench. This is a moral issue. It is about reality, and courts cannot dictate moral reality. This is a matter of conscience, and matters of conscience can only be secured based upon a representative form of government built upon the consent of the people who have elected their representatives. This is the American system of a republic. When I read the next sentence, the Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. He's just saying the power resides with the people why why because when you read the founder when you read the founding documents that's where the power was supposed to be that's who it goes to okay so there's the first amendment that says we have the right of religious liberty and free speech can can the court take that away in certain instances but not as a whole no okay but could the people vote themselves out of free speech the people, the consent of the governed could to a extent, but not eradicate it wholly. And that's why I think you see the big difference between the abortion question and the gun question. We could completely eliminate free speech in this country by statute. We could do it. And the court would have to uphold it. We could do it. We could vote ourselves out of existence if we so chose to. I would love to see that argument in front of the court. Because we have the power. We because the, the Constitution begins with the words, we, we the, people. the people. Right. So this is not just a moral dilemma in regards to the question of life. This is a reality about liberty. Where, who, see, the pro-abortion movement has been right all along. They have been right all along on this single question. 
who shall decide? Alito just made their argument. Yeah. Who shall decide? In our form of civil government, we the people decide through our elected officials, not through the judiciary. And ultimately, the Congress of the United States, the reason, now get this, the left know this is, knows this is true because right now they're calling to codify or make a law that makes Roe versus Wade the law of the entire land over every state and overarching federal. They, they know they can legislate Roe. They know they can legislate abortion through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever in a federal statute and that they can, that, and the court can't stop them. The court just said, if you want this, you make it the law. We won't make it the law. And if you make it the law, it's the law. It's the law. And some states have. When you look at Colorado, New Jersey, Illinois, New York, and the, the the unlimited restrictions that they have basically on the issue of abortion. If the federal Congress wanted to revoke the First Amendment, and they put a constitutional amendment up that says the First Amendment oh, yeah. is now revoked. Yeah, if they put a constitutional amendment. And the states ratified yes, it. The yes. First Amendment's gone. Agreed. Agreed. It's just that simple. Agreed. Because yeah. our government is built upon the consent of the governed. Now, here's the question. Why is it built upon the consent of the governed? Because we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This is the fundamental difference of the reality of what we're now seeing versus what the left has given us for the last 100 years. The left has told us for over 100 years that our rights come from the government, not from the transcendent creator. And when we think about those rights and where they come from and where the founders put the power in we the people, we do have the ability to amend the Constitution. It's a process. We could pass a pro-life amendment. We could pass a pro-abortion amendment. And when I listen to politicians on the air talk about, you know, everyone, no matter what state I've seen a politician in, you know, whether I'm talking about um, Beto O'Rourke in Texas or Stacey Abrams in Georgia, anyone on the left, they say the same thing. They say, well, well over 50% of the people in this state want abortion to be legal. And it's in it, and I'm like, well, pass a law that says that, and 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 they don't in any of those states that those politicians are speaking in. Which brings us to the what's going to happen next. Let's go back to that comment. Let's go. Let's let's go back to what Alito said. For the majority, we end this opinion where we began. Abortion pre- presents a profound moral question. A profound moral question. After the break, we're going to get into that. And we're also going to get into a word when the draft came out weeks ago that you and I were texting about that he uses in the next sentence because we wondered if it was a typo or what was going on. You're listening to Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate and Dave Zanotti this morning filling in for Bob France. And we are in the final paragraph of the opinion of the court 
in the Dobbs decision. We were talking about a profound moral question. That's the first sentence. First sentence. Then they go on to say that the citizens of each state are not prohibiting, prohibited. Let me try that again in English. The Let's citizens, start with the Constitution. Yeah. Does not prohibit. Does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Then it says Roe and Casey arrogated, arrogated that authority. The one thing about this, DZ, is we, when I say we, I'm talking about Americans, had a sneak peek of this opinion. Yeah. I mean, it was leaked. It was sent out there. They still haven't gotten to the bottom of where it came from. I'm sure they will. Well, let me rephrase. They haven't told publicly <laughs> who leaked it. And that's going to be up to the chief, how they're going to handle that. It's going to be up to Roberts. Yeah. And, we'll, we'll, you know, maybe Because we'll, there's no law that says you can't leak a Supreme Court decision. Yeah, maybe we will find out. Maybe There are hiring conditions inside the court to right. be a clerk. And everyone that I've heard who's a former clerk has said, it's pretty well understood that if you're caught doing this. You're going to lose your job. And you're probably going to lose the ability to practice law forever. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, a definite risk. It'll be interesting to see if, if if that does come out. Maybe we'll find out that info when we find out the info about the shooting in Las Vegas a number of years ago. The same, maybe all those details will just come out together. They'll have one big release. Since. Now you sound like a real talk radio guy. I, uh, did that right uh, there. Conspiracy 101, here we go. You're connecting um, the dots, amazing. <laughs> Rowan Casey arrogated that authority. And the definition of arrogate is not abrogate. I actually thought, in the, because it was a draft, that it might have been a typo, and he meant abrogate. I was like, oh, I, I'm but thinking no. aerates, like aerate greens on a golf course. I'm like the punch holes to give life to right. breathe. So in our monthly update for the American Policy Roundtable last month, actually in May, we uh, that would have been last month, yeah, in May, we went ahead and, and printed the definition. Arrogate is a verb. It means to claim or seize without justification. Uh, to make undue claims to having assume. In other words, they assumed the authority. They seized the authority. The court in 1973 took upon itself authority that it did not constitutionally have. Now, let's go back to this question of this is a moral question. There are a lot of moral questions that make up America, like, whether or not you have the right to private property. There is no way to justify your right to private property historically, philosophically, ethically, and legally unless you are willing to go back to Moses in Mount Sinai. Thou shalt not steal. In American history, your right to own private property And to defend that property is anchored in a moral equation that flows out of Hebraic law of the Old Testament. That's where it comes from. And if you don't have a moral or transcendent base for that, then you don't have the right to to private property. Well, and, and again, we hit on this earlier when we said some people say, well, you can't legislate morality. And I'm like, well, what's the basis of all law? Give, you have a nice watch on. Let me have that watch. I can't run the four way stop out here. Why? Because I may harm somebody. 
So this goes on. What is your right to, to private property? What is your right to self-defense? What is your right to free speech? What is your right to conscience? Where does that come from? See, in America, we believe and we have confessed and we have professed and we've anchored the entire premise of America on the notion that there are transcendent rights that come to us from a transcendent creator. We do not live in a flat earth. We do not live in a world that is a flat system. We do not have a ceiling of materialism or scientism over top of us. We believe from our founding that there is something more than us in the universe and that something is someone, that someone is personal, and he has given us our rights. If you do not believe your rights come from God, you have every right to be an American, every right to make that argument everywhere you want. There's just one problem. Your argument is completely inconsistent with the premise and the promise of America. And here's the deal. If you make the argument against that and you find enough people to make that argument with you, you can change it. You can change it. Now, you, yes and no, you cannot change the Declaration. You cannot change the history of the premise. But you could start your own country yes. on a completely different premise. It wouldn't be America as we have always known it. And so often what you and I will do in debates is we'll, I just, we'll, we'll hand someone the pen. Like I'm handing you a pen right now. And I'm saying, okay, drop the Declaration, drop the Constitution. Here's a pen. Write it. Start over. Start over. Where would you start? And how would you determine this simple concept of the social compact? Everything works good on a desert island as long as there's only one of us. Now that there's two, here's the pen. You write the laws. And we always say, or at least I always say, America isn't a perfect nation. But it's the best anyone on this planet's ever had. We can strive to do better. But this is the best that anywhere's had. Show me a system of government that's been put in place anywhere that's been that perfect one. So many times people are always looking to recreate things that have failed. And that's a frustrating thing. Well, Johnny, what do you think? Time for a break. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. In the age of unreason, always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Welcome back. Always right radio. Dave Zanotti, Rob Walgate with you on this Monday morning. And we're going over, I, I guess I would call it, what is this? SCOTUS 101, Supreme Court 101, Opinions 101. We talked Constitution about, 101. Yeah, you know, uh, reading the opinions back to front, right. taking a sneak peek at the beginning and then looking and we, what do we have 212 pages in front of us in the Dobbs anti-rhetoric 101 <laughs> uh, yeah let's what's what's really being said 212 pages in the Dobbs decision and I believe that you could teach a graduate level course on the last paragraph yeah of the majority opinion of mm-hmm. the court written by Justice Alito. And I think that will be dissected 
as a graduate level class. In now, the future. I, without a doubt, we end this opinion where we begin. In other words, it, this goes if we go back to the beginning. In, in implied in all of that is that the court was wrong from the start. The case was wrong. The court was wrong from the start. The process of sociological law, of legislating from the bench, of inventing this entire process from the penumbra of the Constitution was wrong. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The greatest crisis in America today is the crisis of moral authority. The pro-abortion movement has always had their argument right on this point. Who shall decide? It's in essence the same argument we had on the playground. Who says? That is the question of the moral conflict of the human race. Upon what shall we base our conclusions, our decisions and our conclusions? Is it your opinion? Is it my opinion? Is it my mother's opinion, my father's opinion? Is it my employer's opinion? Upon what standard shall we base our conduct? How then shall we live? This is the the human dilemma of all reality. And it flows right into the conversation we were having about the social compact. The idea that the world works great if there's just one of us. As soon as there's two, we have to have some agreements. Are you telling me some of my decisions slash opinions could be wrong or disagreed with by others? It's possible. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. The majority says, now we're to the, we've asked the, we've asked, we've acknowledged that the court was wrong, that we've now made the full circle. Abortion presents a profound moral question. It's above all all of our pay grades, which means it must come back to the people to decide. The Constitution, now specifically, the Constitution does not prohibit. Look at this. Do you see the word, in that sentence, do you see the word, do you see the word abortion there at the end? The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Well, the Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting a lot of activity. Activities that aren't explicitly laid out in the Constitution, right. Bill of Rights. So abortion is the final word of that sentence, not the first. In yes. other words, what does the Constitution say? It does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating, which means permitting, or permitting in part, or in whole, or prohibiting. To get rid of. In part or whole. Now, Roe and Casey, 73 and then 92, 92, I think. So, and, and, and in essence, <laughs> excuse me, the context of the entire construction of the debate, Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. In other words, the court assumed authority it did not have in wrongly deciding those cases because they didn't have the right to decide them. If the court had said, we don't see abortion in the Constitution, 
Therefore, it is illegal in all 50 states. Alito would be saying that's just as wrong. That is just as wrong. You see, this is what's important. So when people say that they outlawed abortion, no, they didn't. No, they didn't, because it never was a law. And I it was think, an opinion of the bench. And I think that's what we need to understand and keep in context is in the environment we live, you know, I don't like dictators. I don't I also don't like singular or nine rogues. Yes. Well said. That being said, if they make a decision and try and implement law as a dictator, singular or nine robed. I am not going to agree with it because it's the rule of law because I it's not the rule of law just because I agree with it. Exactly. Uh, you have to take a stand. And I think this all came to fruition for everyone during COVID yes. because we had people playing yes. the role of dictator. And there's yes. sometimes people saying, well, I'm glad that person's doing that. I'm like, wait a Do minute. Do what I say because it's good for you. Yes. Wait a minute. Where's that in the American? That's yeah. what the British said. Now, King George III was, 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 King George III and Mike DeWine might have some connection. I'm not sure, but that's another story. Time for okay. a 23andMe test. Okay. The like. Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey, the court in both those cases, not this court, by the way, these members were not on those benches. The court, historically, going back to 73, arrogated or assumed that authority, that is illegal, that is unconstitutional. We now overrule those decisions because they were wrong, not based on the question of how you feel about abortion or what you think about abortion, but based on the process of the responsibility of the Supreme Court to construct construct itself according to the rule of law. But we've lost focus of the rule of law. It's about emotion. It's about talking points. You, you mentioned earlier you haven't debated anyone or discussed with anyone since 1973 that can defend the ruling of Roe on the basis, basis of, of the, the rule, rule of, of law. law. Of course not. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. The court stepped in where it didn't belong. We now overrule those decisions, and here's the key, and declare that abortion is now illegal in all 50 states for any reason. Uh, nope, no. Not what it says. No. It says, and return that authority. That authority that was seized by the court. Unethically, illegally, unconstitutionally. It was assumed by the court. It was assumed in the Article Three institution, taking power from the Article One institution, and in essence violating the first three words of the Constitution, which is, we the people who have the fundamental final authority in constructing the rule of law. See, people don't understand in America, we make the laws. Now, the question is, upon what basis shall you make but, those laws? And also, each state has the ability in different circumstances to make laws, to amend statutes, to amend their constitution as well. Some it's, states have better laws than others. I, w- I would say Ohio has some of the best as far as having access to change the law as a citizen. This opinion is the end of the adolescent temper tantrum of the United States Supreme Court in response to radical feminism in the 1970s. It took 50 years to get to the place where this bench 
of qualified lawyers because they've all been ratified or they've all been confirmed by the Senate. Whether we like some or dislike others doesn't matter. They've been considered qualified by our elected representatives have said we were wrong. We seized authority we didn't have. We made a decision based upon authority we did not have. And now we return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Now, when people say they return it to the states, wrong answer. That's not what they did. Because the representatives of the people in Congress could just as easily pass a pro-abortion statute or an anti-abortion statute right now through the Congress. And the United States Supreme Court would be obligated, as they always have since 1787, to presume that if Congress passes a law, it is on its face constitutional because it was passed by the people. And that's where we've fallen out of balance in this country where we have the court trying to keep Congress in check. And when you read constitutionally, it's totally flipped. Congress has dropped the ball over the last 150 years, 100 years, in holding the court in check. The court has admitted they were wrong. They were wrong in deciding something that wasn't their job to decide. Well, after the break... We're going to talk about them and ask you, so a little setup time. Should the court be in the business of changing precedent from previous court's decisions? That's the screaming that you're hearing from the left. Now, I think I know your answer. <laughs> I think I may take, have the same one. But I do want to, because I, I think that's something we don't do enough as Americans is maybe... Put some shoes on the other feet. Take a look at it from all perspective. You've taught uh, the many things. One of the many things you've taught me, too, is when we go debate someone, I usually try and know their argument better than I know my own because that helps you counterpunch. So you have to be willing to counterpunch. I'm not advocating violence. Please don't hear it that way. You could have stopped at counter. <laughs> but it wouldn't have been. I, I, yeah, I, I think we yeah, you got it. So after the break, we're going to get into precedent. We're going to get into all of that. On Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Closing out hour number two, Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate, Dave Zanotti with you this morning, filling in for Bob France. And before the break, we hit on the word precedent. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's the word of the day. That's what people are screaming about. That, I mean, they called it the law of the land when we know that the court can't create law. So there's misnomer number one. But you shouldn't touch precedent. I can name a handful of Supreme Court cases off the top of my head that I'm sure glad were revisited by the court. Yeah, starting with Dred, excuse me, starting with Dred Scott. Dred Scott. Mm-hmm. Plus E. V. Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we can we can go on and say, boy, I'm glad the court fixed their error. In other words, can the court ever make a mistake? Yeah, and, um, and well, of course it can. And a lot of people 
are fired up, I think fired up, safe to say, regarding Justice Thomas and his writings in this situation when he talks about due process. Well, let's let's talk about the court being wrong and making it right. First off, the case was built, Roe was built on a lie. How long do you live a lie? I mean, this is so embarrassing to our children. Anyone who takes the time to research this somewhere in their adolescence is going to realize that this was all built upon a law. Are you comfortable with American children being taught that if the political heat in sociological mobs and polls are sufficient, that the court will forsake simple truth-telling and let a case come in that it's predicated at its very start on a lie and is there for politics and for gain? It was a setup case. It was a setup case. It, it, coming doesn't out that of, bother you at your core? Coming out of Texas, no different than Lawrence v. Texas. Right. It's a setup, a setup case. case. So if you've got a setup case at the start and the court embraces it because they want a sociological outcome that they agree with politically, but it has no anchor in the Constitution, doesn't that, if, if any lesson has been learned, you would think the left would say, wow, if the court invents a right, the court can take that right away. Where do your rights come from? They come from God. Well, and and I think that has been the thing to look at and watch because some folks that have been screaming about precedent and about the decision from the court are the same ones that will list you a handful of Supreme Court cases that they would like to see Flipped on their head and precedent changed. Look, it's one thing if you don't like the outcome because you want a political or sociopolitical change in the culture. That, that, that's fine. That's legitimate. People change. We get that. Times change. We get that. No one's saying that. If you want a political construct to change the direction of a policy, then do it according to the rule of law. Now, if you get lucky for whatever reason that the court got lucky— and got you get what you want from the court, understand something. Another set of justices may come along and say, you know, this is an honest, and they made a mistake. Who would defend Plessy Ferguson? Who would defend Dred Scott? Nobody. The court can get it wrong. And in this case, the court got it wrong in so many ways that Alito said there's been... Now, so, so how long... Does, how long do you cover a lie? How long do you live a lie before you finally decide, you know, I, I just, I don't want to live a lie anymore. So yeah. what did the court say? They said they were wrong. We, the, this bench was wrong multiple times on this issue. Now it's up to you to decide it. Give the power back to the people and their representatives. And if the left wants to do it, they could do it. Here's the deal. They could do it tomorrow. Because they could blow everything up in the Senate, use the nuclear option. Pass it with 51 votes. Pass it with 50 votes. Kamala breaks the tie. Right. House, and it'll get uh, Joe Biden's signature. There, there it is. It's done. They've got they could the do power it. if they want to If, if codify, they want to do then, it, and then they got to run on that. And, yeah, start the debate. If you believe you're right, then let's have the debate in the light of day where everyone's got a representative. And understand, if you codify it tomorrow by going that route, you most likely then have to run on that record 
and many of those senators can't defend that record and will be voted out, and the law is going to be changed in about 18 months, Right. and the ramifications will be felt at the ballot box for probably a decade. Because no law can be sustained without consent, because our system is built upon the consent of the governed. So if you believe your poll numbers, act on it. Do your job, right? Do your job. When we come back after the break, where do we go now? What's next? You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer. Back with you, hour number three, Always Right Radio. Rob Walgate, Dave Zanotti in this morning, and I, I think I could listen, even if we didn't do the show today, if we just listened to three hours of Reagan quotes, I think that would have been. But but as we begin hour number three, I will say, I've had the honor of sitting in for Bob numerous times, and this is my first time since it's been extended to the third hour, mm-hmm. and I think every time that I've left the studio, you know, you always prepare to do eight hours, even though you're going to cram it down in and you always over prepare. But I'm like, oh, I wish I would have got to that. I wish I would have got. So now we have that extra hour that we can get to it. And and what the discussion's been today, Dave, uh, we needed that extra hour. And then some. (laughs) You and I are leaving right here, going right back to the Public Square Studios at the American Mission Center. And we'll do an entire afternoon of broadcasting on this subject for the entire nation. Because uh, this is historic. This is one of the biggest cases in the history of the court. It's one of the biggest moments of repentance, change of mind, and acknowledgement of error on the part of the court. And uh, before I go one step farther, I want to thank every person who since 1973, or at whatever point in time they became aware of this egregious error, in our culture of legalized abortion for any reason throughout all nine months of pregnancy. Every person who has offered a single prayer begging God for mercy to help us get out of this darkness, I want to thank you 
I want to thank you and tell you that there are times we've been in debates, we've been in contests, we've been in electoral conflicts, we've been in courtrooms where we believed that there were people here in northeastern Ohio on their knees in the quiet of their own home on a kneeler somewhere at a church at 6.30 in the morning. They were there somewhere, somehow, around their table praying for God to deliver us from this evil. And to everyone who did not give up, for all the Catholic priests and Protestant pastors who never forsook this issue for political correctness or wokeness, for everyone who stood in the gap in prayer, in giving, for every organization, starting with my late dear friends Barb and Jack Wilkie, who founded National Right to Life out of the state of Ohio, for everyone who has fought this fight at the level of life and death, of good and evil, and did not give up. I don't care if you only ever gave a dollar. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for not giving up. And it's going to take that effort and that education and that willpower to continue to reach across to those on the other side. Because some people say, well, well, people flip-flop on the issues. Listen, I just want them to flip. I want them to flip <laughs> to the side yeah. of life. Yes. And, and if someone does that, put your arm around them and love them and embrace them and say thank you. Welcome home. Welcome. Don't say you should have done this 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Don't give the lecture. Yeah. Don't get it. You didn't do it soon enough. Don't do that. We monitored pulpits across the country yesterday by video, what, seeing what pastors and churches were saying around the country. And there wasn't enough time for some big memo to go out, and there's no mechanism by which that would happen anyhow. But I was tremendously appreciative of the fact that I didn't hear anyone acting like they were suddenly the beauty pageant nominee who had been given the crown and was stunned and, and getting the vapors. Oh, my goodness, we won. No, 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 no. no. I, nor did I see anyone taking a victory lap. I never heard the word won from anyone, as in W-O-N. This is not about that. Now, I'm not hiding the light under the bushel. This is a massive, a massive moment in American history of jurisprudence and American law and, and, and in the rights of individuals. This is a big, big moment. But this has been 50 years in the making. And we shouldn't be surprised that this happened. We shouldn't be surprised that you couldn't bury that lie and keep it buried, that the truth had to finally come forth. You know, and I think about those pastors, and I think one of the reasons you didn't see the spiking of the football or you didn't see the victory lap is because of how personal it is to them when you think of the number of abortions that have happened since 1973. And the amount of women and families that they've counseled who've regretted that decision, yeah. it's impacted them deeply. And they've sat with those women, and they've ministered to those women, and they've loved on those women because so many times you've seen that process after the fact. And those women were told a lie from the beginning. From the beginning. There is no fundamental right to abortion, to kill an innocent, unborn child. 
that that being said, there are decisions that are made medically that result in the death of that unborn child. And some of those decisions that are made have always been viewed under the concept of the fundamental right of self-defense because there is a fundamental right of self-defense. And so as this now comes back to the states, we will come back to the question of the life and health of the mother, the life of the mother. And I say life and health, and in, in, this, in this charade of 50 years, those words have been split. We're trying to talk about the same thing. Yes, We're trying to talk about the fact that it, before 1973, there were extremely rare but real circumstances when a family had to make a decision that this pregnancy could cost the life of the mother, and that was a very strong reality, and people had to make a choice. That's a question of self-defense. That is a right that is maintained in the concept of the right of life. So to think that suddenly there is no way that a person could get any form of an abortion to protect the life of a woman in America is ridiculous. That's absurd. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, You know, we talked about where do we go from here. I do want to spend a moment as we discuss that to take a look at the dissenting opinion by Justices Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor. Some would argue, even though it was a concurring opinion, that Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts' opinion was a bit of a dissent as well. Yeah, he tried to split the yeah, decision, if um, you will. Shocker. But, uh, but that was convenient because he had the five votes that it, were necessary. Yeah, yeah. So he yep. leaned in on the sixth and then said, but in the meantime, I have another opinion about this. Yeah. So, which made, is made it all about him. Roberts, right. Whatever. Um, as I read that dissenting opinion, it was evident to me that I did not come away seeing where their plea was in the rule of law. Yeah. Did, 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 did they counter one of Illegal's no. arguments in his final paragraph? No. 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 They, the, all they debated was consequence. Consequence and emotion. Yes. Play on the emotion of the people. There are going to be poor people that can't afford to go to a state where this is offered. There are going to be all these emotional pleas, and we get lost in the fact of, well, we have to be a nation of laws. If men were angels, we'd need no laws. But men aren't angels. James Madison. Thank you for completing the quote. You heard it right here on Bob France Radio. Rob Walgate of the American Policy Roundtable knows the entire quote of Madison from the Federalist Papers. But men are not angels. Okay. And along that line, let's be honest. There are going to be probably six maybe as many as 12, but at least six states that will immediately pass state legislative action to make abortion legal for all nine months of pregnancy for any reason whatsoever, California, New York, and Illinois being the first three, without a doubt. Colorado, New Jersey. I mean, we can name them all. And you have corporations saying, if you live in a state that doesn't offer it, we'll pay for your vacation to go there to have an abortion. Okay, so the fact is abortion will be available. But it won't be readily available. What's not readily available now? It's not easy to do this. What I want to know is, will Philadelphia decide they want to bring Kermit Gosnell back and let that abortion machine clinic that has killed both children and mothers back in the game? You see, we forget about those moments, the consequences of Roe, of an unfettered against the rule of law butchery machine like what Gosnell became and who's in prison right now for it, convicted multiple times. 
and we don't have time today, but I mean, you could run a whole week's broadcast on the founding of Planned Parenthood, on Margaret Sanger and the intention of the organization in the beginning. The eugenics movement and Sanger is the lead and specifically designed to kill black children in America. And that's accurate history. It's not a lie. We're not making this but, stuff but up. You, but, you but again, don't. that's consequence. That's for the political debate. The court's saying, leave us out of that. You fight this out. All right, we're going to have to get to a break. And, and, and all I'm thinking of is AOC on the steps with a bullhorn screaming. And I wish she would have d- understood history and what she was screaming about in the originality of it all. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome back, Always Right Radio. And I talked about, we talked about, a motion playing into opinions of Supreme Court justice. And it's safe to say I got a little emotional in here that last segment, DZ. A little fired up. Well, let's talk about what we've got to get to. Because ultimately what we have to get to is to reestablish a culture of life in America. What happened from 1973 forward has been a continuing growth of darkness, a continuing growth of death, a continuing growth of the diminishment of the value of the human individual as the creation of God. And the Supreme Court is responsible for that. The progressive left is responsible for that. Now, the question is, how many of us who have proclaimed to be pro-life now that, but but have, have had an excuse that we're living in the shadow of Roe Therefore, what difference does it make? Because the court won't let us do it anyhow. Now that excuse is removed. That excuse is removed. Now, how do we restore a culture of life? And it's got to be a culture that's built in light and a culture that's built in love. Here's the amazing thing about this. The way if you track the founding of America back to a thousand years before America, what you discover is, or even longer, you ultimately, what John Quincy Adams believed, you come to the manger in Bethlehem. You know, the Ronald Reagan quote that's often played here, and, and, and Bob, uh, Ronald Reagan asked the question, should uh, Moses have told the people of Israel they should remain slaves? The whole concept is that the human being is born fallen and enslaved in a fallen world of entropy and of sin. And the reality is is that the God of the Bible has always called us into liberty, to understand our true origins as his creation, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. The liberty of love. And we're commanded to do that. But God doesn't make us robots, and he's not doing it for us. There's that freedom. Yeah, where does the consent of the governed come from? It comes from God. He gave us the free will in the first place. And then affirmed that entire concept through all of the Old Testament. I'm thinking back to, to President Biden a few months ago when he said rights come from God, and all his handlers kind of flipped out, right? I yeah. mean, they kind of went crazy. Like, because you can't say that. See, we've got a whole generation that believes that rights come from the Constitution, No, the Constitution doesn't give us any rights. 
The Constitution exists to make sure that the federal government doesn't take our rights away because they came from God. Please read the Declaration of Independence. My wife wants me to make sure that we say to anyone, if you don't have a copy of the Declaration or the Constitution, call the American Policy Roundtable or simply log on at aproundtable.org. We'll send you a free Constitution and Declaration. Read what the Declaration says. And I, you know, talking about this foundation that needs to happen and occur on truth, sometimes I forget, you know, the time frame between, I mentioned this before, the Declaration and Constitution. We kind of think that it was just pounded out back to back quickly. It was 11 years. 11 years. And an eight-year war. <laughs> yeah. We got better in that eight years. We learned a few things. Yes. And and Washington helped us. And that's why that letter from 1783 that ends with a prayer that we would become like Jesus to be a happy nation is so critical. Well, and I also think it shows today we talk about the commitment. How are we committed? Oh, well, we're able to send out a few tweets or grab a bullhorn and scream and yell. I mean, talk about fighting for independence and what that sacrifice that was made. Well, then let's talk about misplaced compassion, because that's what this debate is really all about. Yeah. People who feel that somehow we owe something that's not being paid on the question of abortion. Okay, let's be clear that when it comes to questions of a forced pregnancy, people are going to debate that question for the purposes of law, and the consent of the governed will prevail. That has to be fully debated. The court took that debate away from us for 50 years. Now we have an opportunity to fully to look into that reality. But let's also be very clear that these exception cases we're talking about are extremely rare. But more significantly, let's not be naive. Right now, depending on what research you look at, and it's a little difficult to get to because of the, the union of Big Pharma and Planned Parenthood, what you really have is a situation where probably most of the abortions that happen in America now are done by pills, by chemicals, not surgical procedures. And we know that because there'll be six to 12 states, maybe six only, I'm not sure, but there'll be at least six states right now that are on track at this moment to keep abortion fully legal, that there will be the, the ability to get those pills across straight lines or across international lines. This decision of the court does not stop abortion. It simply restarts the debate where it has always begun. And people now have the opportunity to have the debate, and to work to restore a culture of life. And as you have that discussion with those, it, I'm reminded it does need to be, what's the end goal? Is the end goal to scream at someone? Is the end goal to tell them where they're wrong? Is the end goal to teach and have a discussion the and try and get them to do that, understand the culture of life? Is, is to tell men to remind them that sexual activity ends in pregnancy. Biology 101, excuse me. In fact, it's not even 101. It's sixth grade biology. Hang on. Are you a biologist? <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask the, me for my pronouns I, I, next. I, I, okay? don't know, I don't know if we should be having this discussion so, if you're not no, a biologist. I'm sorry. This is what they told me in sixth grade. I understand now it's a fourth grade, okay? But if you get involved sexually, pregnancy is inevitable. It happens. Back to the day. That's Dave Zanotti. You're listening to Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Always Right Radio, Rob Walgate, Dave Zanotti. Final segment, we were talking about the culture of life. And over the last 50 years, you know, we do have to give kudos, a shout out to all the people that have worked in, volunteered at, financially supported, given counseling at, at Christens Pregnancy Centers around the country. Some of the unsung heroes on the ground each and every day fostering that culture of life. And the people who volunteer at those centers and pray for those centers and support them. Uh, the culture of life begins by acknowledging the author of life, that our existence comes from God, that our rights come from God, and that we have an obligation and a response. Now, in the Old Testament, that response involved making sacrifices, and that was the form of how which God portrayed that response. And he said in Exodus 20, when you offer sacrifices to me, make those sacrifices an altar of earth. He didn't want any fancy. He said, if you're going to make it a stone, don't use a tool on the stones. Just stack them up. This is between me and you. In Romans chapter 12, we're told, therefore, brethren, and sistren, implied in the, in the term, therefore, I urge you, says the Apostle Paul, therefore, brethren, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. This is your reasonable act of spiritual worship and service. And be not conformed to the pattern of this earth, of this age, but be transformed by the renewed quality of your thinking. Then you'll know what God's will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. We are, in the New Testament model, an altar of earth because we give ourselves to be a sacrifice to God. And God has a reason and a purpose for us to be here. And God has an opportunity for us to serve, particularly in this issue. We need to restore a culture of life by the way that we live, by the way we respect each other, by the way we drive on the roads, by the way we speak to our children, by the way that we talk to school teachers in public schools and private schools and home schools and charter schools. We need to respect the life that God has given us and that he paid for with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross because someday we will all stand before him. And in that moment, one second after you're gone, there's only one person who's going to matter. You're telling me I need to love my neighbor. Because Jesus commands that we love our neighbors. Even, we love even if our neighbor disagrees with us on our worldview. Of course. And everything we stand for. Yes. And if they're captured by wrong thoughts, then we need to pray for them. We don't need to argue with them and debate with them because if they're willing to, if they want to argue and debate, they're not ready for the truth. We need to pray for them because every person ultimately will cross the bridge where they will have a moment to consider eternal justice because God is pursuing them far, far more than we are. And the way we live will have far more of an impact on those people than the words we than use. the words that we say. The way that we live. The way that we invest our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasure right now, by the merciful grace of God, people who are pro-life need to invest billions of dollars 
in love. That was with a B. Billions of dollars in the love of neighbor. If major corporations are going to say, we'll pay for you to go get an abortion, we need to say, I got a better idea. We will pay your nine months through pregnancy to make sure that you bring this child to term. And then if you so choose that this child is not one that you can raise, we will pay to make certain that that child is adopted because there are thousands of people crying themselves to sleep every night, wishing to God they could raise a child. And the market is there. The demand is there. The will and the intention and the commitment is there. We need to step up now and to recreate a culture of life. Not a, not, not a, not a culture of stigmatization. Not a culture of, of left versus. This has nothing to do with left versus right. This has to do with light and love. Not just, and if you're, and if you're confused, just think of the last time you heard the sound of a two-year-old's laughter and ask yourself, don't we need more of that in the world? We do need more of that. And so many of our friends that I can think of have those amazing stories of being adopted into a loving home. Our beloved co-host on the public square, Wayne Shepard, talks about his adoption he all talks, the time. He talks about it and just... It, it, Bob France is another. Is Bob? I didn't know that. Yes. How about wow. that? Yeah. It, oh, it, there, there you go. That ends the case. Bob France is the end, end case. Yeah, we I've, take Bob France and Wayne Shepard, put them in the room, and say, "Thanks be to God that 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 they were permitted to live." And between those two men, the amount of lives that have been touched. touched. And the, 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 oh, yeah, I could go on and on about that. Well, oh. Yeah. Okay. So invest billions and, uh, to yes, restore yes, that culture yes, of, of life, life because the we live. there's. An opposition to this, yes, that just wants to see that doom and, and destruction. And it's the cosmic death wish that goes far beyond the people that you see. Don't get caught up in hating the people with the megaphones. Don't go there. It, they're captured by an ideology that comes from the garden. Pray that God will deliver them. It's not worth an argument because life always wins because God is real. Quit acting like our boss isn't risen from the dead. He is the author of life. Live in the reflection of that light. Now, that also means vote. And I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't mean vote Republican because there are plenty of Republicans who are pro-abortion, pro-progressives, and anti-American in the core of the founding. Don't, don't be fooled by thinking that it's one party or the other. That's nonsense. We need the life issue to pervade every single political office in our country we need to win every office and starting at the bottom because right now what's going to happen rob is you're going to see that certain states will decide to defy certain laws and rules certain municipalities and counties will say we're going to be an abortion free zone we don't care what ohio law says we're going to do it our own way this is going to happen in florida it's going to happen in other places so every person that's running for public life ought to be able to, to tell you what they believe about the question of the preservation and protection of all unborn. Life. What would be the question all you would period. ask when I think of people running for state rep, state senator? Those are people who Justice Alito was referring that they ought to be making the decisions. Give them the one paragraph of this decision and say, please respond. Please respond. Please and that's, respond. His, that's his closing paragraph on the opinion of the court mm-hmm. that Justice Alito wrote. And the response I would love to see from so many out there. And if they don't have an answer, ask them if they'd like to learn more. And if they're not willing to learn and they don't have an answer and they're just faking it, find somebody else. Because this is the issue of the age. The quality and the sanctity and the culture of life. It's more than abortion. It's about life.
life. And don't let them dance around it. Don't let them um, give you 87 different what-if scenarios. It's not a difficult question. Huge thanks to Bob France for allowing Dave and I to sit in this morning. Johnny on the other side of the glass. We made it. We made it through. Yes, sir. We made it through. It's always an honor to be here. Bob will be back with you. Uh, Remember, be not overcome by evil. Overcome evil by doing good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.